story of Upbuild began in a monastery. On our quest to understand ourselves more deeply, we recognize that it is our attachment to our egos, our identities, that gets in the way of being our true selves. This podcast will help you understand your ego. It will help you better understand your inner world, the motivations, insecurities, and emotions that affect your every action and relationship. Welcome to Upbuilding the Self. Hey everyone, I'm Hari Prasad and I'm here with Michael for our um, podcast discussing his reflection that hit me very hard, our unilateral contracts. When I first read this, I had this sense that this creates a new language and that this will be something which for anyone who gets the opportunity to read it, it will stay with them and be a reference point, like, oh, there's my unilateral contract again. Uh, I think I just got into a unilateral contract unwittingly. It has that kind of power to it. So I've been itching for a long time now to get Michael here with me to interview him for my own benefit and for the benefit of everyone listening. And today is that day. (laughs) So we're excited. It's great to be with you. You as well, Hari Prasad. Thank you. And I'm also hoping that it can have that effect and very touched that you feel that way. I sure do. I was just saying before we uh, began that this is something which withstands the test of time. And I, I didn't doubt it, but I would highly encourage people who have not yet read the reflection as they're listening to afterwards, go and read it. So let's start with what was the inspiration behind writing this? Why did you decide this is it, our unilateral contracts? So I think it would be first helpful to talk about what is a unilateral contract. And very simply, it's a contract that I have between myself and another person or a group of people. And as the name implies, the word unilateral, the other person doesn't know about it. So I'm aware of the contract or not so aware of the contract, but I'm the one who has created this contract. And the counterparty, if we can call them that, is not aware. And the inspiration was coming to the realization that I have tons of agreements with other people that they're not even remotely aware of. And yet I hold them accountable as if they were aware, not only aware, as if they had literally signed their name on the contract stating that they would agree to that contract. And so I share an example in the beginning of the piece where it was a very ordinary day. I was doing some work and I took a break from that work and was starting to browse social media. And I came across my friend's Facebook account and he had posted an article from a major financial news outlet which had written an article profiling an interview that they had done with him. And it was very clear from this article that my friend who was in the financial industry, and and that was an industry that I had been in for 11 years, that my friend was not only very smart and competent and knew about the stock market, but also that he was just crushing it, that he was super successful in his life and his career. And I got about halfway through the article and I started to notice just how agitated I was. I had this feeling of, I hate this article. And I couldn't even finish. I couldn't get to the end of it. I had to shut my laptop 
And I started pacing around the room and I'm thinking, you know, what is going on? What, what is the object of my agitation here? And what I realized is that the object of my agitation was my friend. I was pissed. I mean, how could my friend have done this to me? How could he have posted this article knowing that I would react this way, knowing that I have this envy and this disappointment about my own lack of success? And he was throwing it in my face. He was literally rubbing his own success in my face. And of course, he had never had that intention. And yet the way that I was reacting to it was as if he had that intention. And I felt betrayed, like he had somehow broken our contract. And that was my realization that these things exist and that we're doing it all the time. Yeah, that was such a powerful example. And when you had that realization, was there anything that led you to think this is a contract? Like, how did you discover? Because I think many people would think themselves introspective and they haven't discovered these contracts. How did you figure that out? It was that feeling of being betrayed. And so just the fact that I was experiencing that emotion of betrayal, it wasn't only anger. It wasn't only envy, but it was this feeling like this person has let me down, that this person has actually intentionally hurt me or done something to make me feel uncomfortable that led me to think that I'm actually holding them accountable to something that emotionally I feel like they've agreed to, but has never actually been the case. Oh, that's great. So what did you do when you came to that recognition? First of all, I felt a lot of shame (laughs) and shame is an emotion that I experience a lot, but it was embarrassing to see that I had done this. And it was also embarrassing to see of the effects that this feeling of betrayal had on myself and maybe even more importantly, my relationship with him. I could feel myself not wanting to reach out, not wanting to connect. And this is one of the core parts of the unilateral contract. Not only do we feel a sense of betrayal when other people, quote unquote, break our contract, but we also punish them for breach of contract. And that can look very different for different contracts. And we can talk more about other examples. But in this case, what would happen in the weeks and months that would follow is that I was not motivated to connect with this person at all. Yeah, I feared you're going to do this again to me. You're going to talk about, you know, your compensation, or you're going to talk about how many people just got hired at your firm, indicating some level of success, or you're going to talk about the new apartment that you moved into, just something small thing that would trigger this feeling again. And so it resulted in disconnection. And I'm thinking, man, I can't believe my own reaction and my own delusion and my own false creation of such a contract would lead me to take such action or better said to not get into action to actually withdraw. Yeah. I want to underscore that the way you find out you've created a unilateral contract, I think this is applicable to all of us is when you feel that letdown, that betrayal, and then you have to think, "Uh uh-oh, well, did they actually let me down? Did they betray me? Did they knowingly do that? And 
how do we orient ourselves and figure out what's the writing in the contract? We'll speak more about that, but that really struck me. I'm also curious when you figure out that there is a unilateral contract, like in the case of your friend who had triggered some insecurity there, do you tell the person? What did you do in this case? I have not, I have not told this person. I think it depends on the situation. If we can, that's incredible because we can really own up to what we've done. And especially if it's a person we have a lot of interaction with or consider somebody very dear. I know that I have a lot of unilateral contracts with my spouse, you know, when it comes to splitting up the chores, if I were to do the dishes one night, I have a unilateral contract that she will do the dishes the following night. I have a unilateral contract that if I wake up in the middle of the night to take care of our son and try to put him back to sleep, that if he wakes up the next morning and I still haven't gotten enough sleep, she'll actually be the one to take him. And some of these things can be explicitly talked about, but there's a lot that's never actually explicit. And so we hold people very close to us and very far to us, these type of things. And so if we can catch ourselves, I mean, the first thing that we need to do is be able to recognize it ourselves. That's super clear and be very open and honest about why that exists. And then if we're able to process it in a way that feels healthy and we feel like the person would create a safe space for us to be able to share with them and that it would actually potentially open up new freedom and new possibilities in the relationship, then absolutely we should share it with them. But we don't always feel safe and it's not always possible. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm relating a lot to what you're saying. Let's get a little bit more vivid about these contracts themselves. You gave some great examples here. What is the cause? Why would we create these contracts in the first place? Very simply, the one word answer to that is our ego. Our ego is not in touch with deeper truths about ourselves, And it's always feeling the need to prove, to defend. I want to be seen the way that I want to be seen. You will not mess with me is another one. It's not fair. When these various voices that I've named, and there are a lot others, when they come to the present, that's what drives the unilateral contract. So again, with my friend, going back to that example in the social media, this trigger was a clear indication to me, to my ego, that I wasn't enough. It also comes from a sense of entitlement a lot of the time. There's a physician named Peter Atia who also has his own podcast, and he talks about the example of being at the uh, airport security line. And I experience this all the time. We have this sense that we're pretty happy that other people should get searched. But when we go through airport security and the TSA says, excuse me, sir, you know, go over there. You're, you're going to be searched. Are you kidding me? Me? Do you know who I am? I mean, that's literally the voice of the ego saying, do you know who I am? And underneath that voice is a unilateral contract. I have a unilateral contract with the TSA that they will keep my plane safe and they'll search everyone else, but they won't search me because I'm not dangerous and, I, and there's nothing to fear here. So it can often come from a sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's helpful for sure. So then when we feel entitled, 
and we create this unwritten contract and we hold somebody to it, typically without our knowing and certainly without the other person's knowing, what happens when they don't follow through on the terms of the deal? We react in some way. And that completely depends on our own emotional state, our own ego, what we're trying to protect. So again, just to use an example to make it very concrete, in the, in the example with the TSA, it's, it's usually some sort of resentment or some sort of arrogance, a reaction of grandiosity and arrogance, and then a feeling of re- resentment. Like, I can't believe they wasted my time, frustration, anger. We might gossip about people behind their back. We might try to put them down in some way by poo-pooing their ideas, or we might hold back. You know, this happens to me all the time as well. You know, one of the things that I like to happen within our team, within the Upbuild team, is when I share an idea or I get passionate about something that I've been thinking about, I want that to be really well-received. And so I might throw out something, and if I feel like there's a pretty lukewarm response, I'll often find myself holding back on the next one or with that one, not driving it forward with the passion that I had for it because I'm afraid that my heart won't be received. And underneath it, there's a unilateral contract that anytime I put my heart out there or come up with an idea, it will be received with as much enthusiasm as possible. And of course, that's that's not always possible and it wouldn't be the truth for other people. And so I just want to be super clear about all of this. Yeah, in my mind, I'm debating, should we just like say hooray for anybody's ideas that come out? I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned in your piece that there's like a um, often a punishing element to this. And what I sense is that it's twofold. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's like punishing the other person. And then there's punishing ourselves, like the inner critic going mad on us, look at what this other person is doing. And you're not, you know, using your example of seeing your friend's social media post or the article, you know, my inner critic is telling me I'm not good enough and is punishing me. Now, there may have also been something in terms of you're not going to reach out to him. And that's not clear if you were trying to punish him, like remove contact or if it was only about yourself or some other discomfort, but could you shed light on this punishing element as it relates to presumably both sides of that? Yeah, I think you hit it spot on. We punish ourselves, but we think we're protecting ourselves. We think the inner critic is, I know this from not only my own personal experiences, but in working with so many of our clients, the inner critic can be, it's like, I need this thing. This is my biggest friend in the world because if I didn't have my inner critic with a big stick threatening me, if I don't work hard enough, then who would I be? And then on the other side, how am I punishing somebody else? Am I withdrawing? Am I not engaging as fully as I might? Am I becoming over the top in my reaction? Am I pumping myself up and putting them down? Am I acting with some sort of moral superiority? And again, all of that is to protect ourselves, but let's look at the effect that we have on others. 
and the quote unquote counterparties in our unilateral contracts. And it seems like this can get pretty messy pretty quickly, again, both internally and externally, because every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So you put out some punishing energy or you put in some punishing energy and there's a reaction to that. Do you want to share anything about that? I just go back to the example with my wife. I mean, imagine if every time I did the dishes and then I expected her to do the dishes and then she did the dishes and I like, it's just this repeating pattern of holding each other and being in this never ending loop of transactions with somebody. And where's the love? Where's the connection? I hope this brings a lot of light to our unilateral contracts that we have with other people. And then we also know what it's like to be on the receiving end where somebody else has a unilateral contract with us that we're not really aware of until we are recipients of the punishment. And then we're thinking, oh, wow, I crossed the line here that I didn't know that I had crossed. And what's happening? Because I never agreed to something like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is so entangling. It seems like it's infinitely entangling. Like we can just live our lives. I can easily see that we just live our lives in sort of roles that we're forcing each other and ourselves to play. It's like straitjackets, but we feel we don't know anything else. And this is what we have to do because there's too much at stake and we're too threatened. Does that resonate? Yeah. When we need other people to be a certain way for us, or when we need specific things from people, and I don't mean need in like the deepest need, but more of, you know, we talk a lot about the nonviolent communication framework of needs versus strategies and how needs are like connection and reciprocity and authenticity, real needs of the, of the deepest part of us, of the soul. But then there are these strategies that we try to get these needs met. You know, I need you to show up at at seven o'clock or else, or I need you to wash the dishes three times this week or else. And those aren't really needs. But when we put them in the needs column, when we think that they're needs and we parade them around as needs, yes, it becomes this never ending loop. And it can often be very tit for tat with somebody else, especially if they're also not aware of what's happening. Yeah. I mean, that also makes me think about another element of the nonviolent communication paradigm. She talks about requests versus demands. And, you know, what you're talking about with unilateral contracts are unspoken requests that have become demands that are actually, they're not requests. It's, you have to do this because if you don't, there will be consequences. And, and that's the punishing energy. Beautiful. Could you share an example of what you mean by that? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm thinking of how Marshall Rosenberg, the founder or the creator of nonviolent communication, would say that in order to evaluate the difference between a request, which means you're free, I'm asking you to do something and you're free to do it or to not do it. If it serves both of our needs, then you can do it. And if it doesn't serve your needs, then feel free not to do it. That's a request. It, it keeps free will intact and it's respectful and it's meant to serve both parties. It may be based on my need more than the other person's need, but that's okay because it's giving another person the chance to be of sincere service, which is a need 
also. So it fulfills their need in a different way. And then a demand is, let's say I make the same request. So he gives this example of, please know photography at this session that he's running, right? This conference. And if I say, if you don't follow this, then there will be consequences. Or if I imply that, or if I have that in my back pocket, then that becomes a demand, right? So at least if there are going to be rules, they have to be agreed upon. And what you're saying is also so important that we have to know what the rules are. We have to bring them out into the open because we don't even do that. It can be helpful, especially when we unearth a unilateral contract that we have with somebody else. There's something going on there that's real. We don't want to just say, oh, forget about this thing. But if we can figure out what am I actually looking for and can I get into a bilateral agreement with somebody else around the rules? So even if it's something like doing the dishes, wouldn't it be helpful to have an explicit agreement about on which days I'm responsible for them and which days my spouse might be responsible for them? And there are certain things like the unilateral contract that I had with my friend with the article where it's not really possible to have a bilateral agreement around that. And then I need to do some of my own work to figure out you know, what's going on there. But to the extent that we can create a bilateral agreement that feels both clear and freeing at the same time, there's so much freedom when we have a framework and some clarity around how to operate. Yeah. And then there's that, like, what do we do? If we've spoken about it, we have the agreement and somebody doesn't meet the agreement, then is it back to punishing? (laughs) That can make for a beautiful conversation at that point, because we can then refer back to the conversation that we had and from a place of curiosity, and this is really important, it's really hard, (laughs) but it's really important from a place of curiosity, ask them, you know, what happened? We spoke two weeks ago about this specific situation and we had come to an agreement. This is certainly how I interpreted the agreement. And it felt like you didn't live up to that agreement. And I was wondering if you could share your perspective on the matter. And there's no blame. There's no accusing. There's no punishment. Maybe down the line, there might need to be some punishment, but we're very clear about why that exists. And we're also very clear about what the other person's perspective is before we take any action. I think we also never want to be taking on the role of the punisher. (laughs) That would be pretty ego-driven when it's like, hey, it's my turn to dole out the consequences. Sometimes we're in a position of responsibility where we have to do that, but always for the benefit of the other person and the greater good, never losing sight of that. And so whenever we are needing to give out punishments, there's a consciousness for that as well. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, so much of our work at Upbuild is about trust. And what you're talking about with unilateral contracts is increasing trust by taking the ego out of it, seeing what are the unwritten contracts, being more transparent with ourselves first and foremost, and then where appropriate with each other and creating conscious agreements and relationships and 
that fills the room with trust rather than sucking the oxygen out. And everybody has to just like walk on eggshells and abide by certain rules that are so constraining and there are consequences if you don't. Right. So a lot of that has to do with trust. And Marshall Rosenberg would say it also depends. So you may be creating a request, but it depends the last time you made that request, how did you behave if it wasn't met? That will dictate whether it's really a request or not. And that will create more trust if we're conscious of, you know, taking responsibility and really shaping things in a way where if we're saying it's a request, this is an agreement that I, I want us to have freely but then if you don't meet it, boom, you know, I bring down the hammer, then it's no longer a request. I've actually betrayed myself what's going on. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. And I'm, there's just so many examples of that in the workplace. Yeah, please share, please. With how we hold. I'm just thinking of, you know, I used to work at an investment bank and I was a trader and I used to love to mentor the junior traders. And as I got a little bit more senior, there would be certain analyses that I would do that provided a lot of value for people across the firm. And I saw opportunities for me to hand start handing some of that stuff off to the more junior traders so that they could get some experience being a little bit more out there, vocal, be sharing their ideas and to uh, feel responsibility for sending that out to everybody else. And I would offer that to them under the guise that I was doing what was best for them. <laughs> like you can, do, you don't need to do this. You don't have, there's, there's no man, but like, I think this would be really great. And there were lots of times where this person, one specific person that I'm thinking about wouldn't do it. And I couldn't understand why I had given him this great opportunity. I was making a sacrifice and not sending it out myself and offering him this great opportunity. And I had held him to a contract that it was a demand. And yet the way that I had actually phrased it was a request. And this repeated itself. And he would experience how I would react in those situations, which was different than as if he had not met my request. It was as if he had not met my demand. And so seeing it happen a second and a third time, and again, offering it in a way like, this is what's best for you and you don't have to do it, but it would be really good for you. I could see now that he must have never felt that it was a request. He must have always felt it as a demand. That's really helpful. What was going on there? What, was there a unilateral contract beneath that? First of all, it was, this was my idea originally. And so it was like, you will respect me for this amazing idea. It was somehow a validation of the idea to do this in the first place, which it was many years earlier, that if he wasn't doing it, it felt like he was disrespecting that idea or he did not see it as valuable as I did. The other identity that was at stake for me was that I'm a mentor. I'm somebody who helps junior people and helps them rise up in their own careers. And I'm such a good person. And so when he wasn't honoring his side of the agreement, 
and I put that in quotes, it was as if he was invalidating that identity somehow. I could no longer see myself in that light. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So the ego we define as the identity of who we think we should be. And there are so many different forms and masks that we wear. And the moment somebody doesn't make me feel like my mask is me, that like I'm living up to this projection of who I think I should be, then it's very disturbing for us. And I think that goes back to what you were saying is really the origins of these contracts. We need to create all these unilateral contracts that bind people to say, you are who you think you should be. I am my ego. Right. Just now and a few minutes ago when you were talking about trust, I think you put the whole summation of what the unilateral contracts idea is in such a beautiful, succinct way. And, and thank you for that. Thank you. I was inspired by you. <laughs> but please, what, what do we do now that we have some clarity around what these are, how they show up, what are the effects? What do we do with these unilateral contracts? You gave us some hints of this, but like, what is the driving takeaway for us? How can we make sure we don't miss anything? We action on this. We have to get in touch with those deeper truths that I alluded to when we first started recording. And we have to see what's going on with the ego in any given situation. So if the ego wants to prove its worth, we have to see that. And then we have to connect to the deeper truth that I have worth independent of what this person thinks about me or independent of the relative success or lack of success that I have. We also have to connect to a deeper truth that I'm not entitled to anything, that I'm a servant. You've shared this with us many times, Hari Prasad, the only reliable identity that we can hold on to is I am a servant. So when it's, you know, I'm a mentor or I'm a great dishwasher and see how amazing I am at dishwashing, or I'm a really reliable husband or father or employee or CEO, whatever it might be. None of those are reliable identities. They all fall apart and they're all based on the ego. They might be true on the surface for a period of time, but what's really going on? How have we refracted those identities to fit the desires and needs, which are not really needs of the ego. And so if we can get super clear about these things, then we don't have to react to them. Then in the case of my experience with the social media, where there was an experience of envy and shame and disappointment and anxiety, and eventually to anger and frustration and agitation for why my friend had shared, we can stop that cascade, that waterfall of emotions, we can see what's really going on, own up to it, and hopefully we won't get to that end place. Yeah, I mean, that's invaluable. What you're talking about is really the heart of everything that we stand for at Upbuild, seeing the ego, not identifying with it, not identifying with the roles that it pins us to, and being really as in touch with the true self as possible through practice it can't be emphasized enough how important that is. So anything that you would want to say in closing? I would want to offer to our listeners, take some time right now and look at your life. Find 
a minimum of three unilateral contracts that you have in your life. And if you can pull from different areas of your life, even more helpful. So one at work, one within your family, one within your social network, and go one layer deeper. What is causing that unilateral contract? And what do I want to do instead of holding other people to this unilateral contract? And just that exercise alone, it will automatically create movement in the direction that we've been talking about. Love that. Thank you so much, Michael. This has been a real gift to get to explore this with you. It has been something, as I mentioned in the beginning, I've anticipated for a very long time. And uh, it's so sweet and satisfying to get to unpack all of this together. And I hope that I can live up to these realizations that you're offering us all. And thank you to everyone who is listening. We really hope that this serves you well. All the best. Thank you, Hari Prasad. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Upbuilding the Self. Upbuild is a leadership development company that offers workshops, coaching, and other services to help you on the path towards being your best self, free from the shackles of the ego. To learn more about our work, visit our website, upbuild.com, and sign up for our newsletter to gain access to podcasts, reflections, and upcoming events. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes to leave us a review so that others can find and benefit from the podcast. We look forward to being with you again next time.